You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. What's spooky with you? Possession sands the demon. So I have no experience or belief in demons, but the African diasporic religions of which I am a priest do have possession experiences. There are two ways you can be possessed. One, the Orisha, can come down and mount you. In voodoo, they call it being ridden, and the possessed is referred to as a horse. And two, the dead can mount you. Generally an ancestor of yours, but not always. Good news is, you cannot be possessed outside of a ritual setting, and even then only with consecrated drums playing very specific rhythms, so listening to these rhythms on Spotify ain't gonna work. And very few people are capable of being possessed, even in our religion. It's not a common thing. Now is the point where Kristen goes, Okay, that's very interesting, Dave. Have you been possessed? Yes, twice. Both by the dead. The Africans believe souls inhabit bodies like parasites. Any soul can claim anyone's body at any time. Yeesh. The first time I was asked to tap the rhythm on the Palo Muerte, Stick of the Dead, which looked to me like a Renaissance Fair wizard staff, but hey, use what you got. I was tapping a 2-4 rhythm steadily during the prayers when I noticed the sound around me muffling, like I was being plunged underwater. It was exactly like the sound of water rushing into my ears. Then my vision went darker and narrowed into a tiny dot like the old cathode ray TV sets when you turned them off. The next thing I knew, I was in a different room, and an elder priest was waking me by blowing cigar smoke in my ear, which is as unpleasant as it sounds. My brother was in the ceremony and said that I started tapping faster and faster until my rhythm was almost a blur. He said I started shaking and fell to the floor, flopping like a fish out of water. I have no recollection of any of this. The elder priest told me that the flopping is the result of our motor reflexes going away as one consciousness, the dead, is trying to take over your body while your soul is trying to retain its husk. His words. The second time was during a misa, which is the Santeria version of a seance. We were all sitting with our eyes closed for a good 30 minutes when suddenly, I just wasn't me anymore. I was old, in a retirement home, felt a terrible pain across my lower back, which I seemed to know was cancer. Several orderlies were grabbing at me and pulling me into a wheelchair for a procedure that I didn't want. It was maybe six seconds of struggling and suddenly I was aware I was in the Misa and was being held aloft by two female priests. They told me they tried to get me to stand up since I appeared to be going through something painful. They watched my body contort. When they lifted me by the arms, my entire body came up twisted in a fetal position. What surprised them most was they said I was easy to lift as if I was a child. 
For the record, I am 6'3 and a little over 200 pounds. I told them what I experienced. No one in the room knew the spirit, and to this day, I am a bit stumped by the whole thing. I will close with this. Possession, in our religion, while not the vomit-spewing, neck-twisting affair you see in Catholic horror flicks, is still unpleasant. Color me not a fan. I'm not sure there could be a better first-hand encounter for this episode than that. So thank you so much for that, Mr. Dave. And to all of you out there listening, welcome back to Paranorm Girl. I am your host, Kristen. Today, we are talking about possession. What is it? Why does it happen? What are the symptoms? Is an itchy throat on the list? A slight cough? Oh, God, they are, aren't they? I saw it on WebMD. I'm possessed. Oh, God, I'm possessed. Tell my mother I love her. Before we get too far into today's topic, uh, a quick plug for my peeps over at My Rental Company out of Pullman, Washington. If you are in the area and looking for a top-notch place to call home, I've got good news because that's what this company does. Pullman's go-to for high-quality rental properties. Give them a call, 509-338-4653. My Rental Company, your property is our priority. Speaking of priorities, uh, I'm looking to shake it up a bit this year, you guys. I uh, I quit my job a few weeks back. Um, it was a good job, too. You know, decent pay for living in the South. It wasn't a difficult job by any stretch, but I was unhappy, and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on why. I just knew I didn't want to be there anymore. I... Um, I had a commercial acting coach once who loved the phrase, leap and the net will appear. So without another job lined up or any clear place to land, I quit. And I I keep waiting for this, like, sense of panic to set in, and, and it hasn't. And it's dawned on me during this downtime the reasons why. Most important reason, I have come to realize during this pandemic the things that are actually important to me. You know, my priorities. And I used to inherently understand the importance of personal priorities when I was younger, but, you know, I forgot somewhere along the line. But this pandemic, the quarantine, putting myself and my life in jeopardy every single day with customers who didn't give a damn. It made me realize the most valuable thing I have is my time. Yeah, it shook something loose inside of me. It made me remember. I remembered that I don't need to make myself small. I don't have to swallow other people's bad behavior or anger because, you know, otherwise I'll be disciplined or not liked or some other ridiculous excuse I've carried around with me. It made me remember the outstanding amount of disgust I have for entitled people who deem workers like myself, like my coworkers, less than them and treat us poorly just because they can do it with impunity. It reminded me that life is short. At almost 40, it's real damn short now. 
I just do not have enough time left to be spending it under someone else's heel or abiding by their rules that don't make any sense or, or making someone else very rich while my dreams just go by the wayside. No, life, precious life, is fleeting. And I want to do something really spectacular with it. And so should you. As they say, do something every day that scares the pants off you. So, if no one has told you today, all year, or ever in your life, I am telling you now, you are never too old to be what you could have been. If you continue to do what you have always done, you will continue to get what you have always got. And if you do not like something, and it does not align with your priorities, change it. Yes, it really is that simple. Okay, good talk, you guys. All right, that was a tangent. It's okay, moving on. Okay, so possession is nine-tenths of the law, or so a quick search of the internet tells me, but according to Merriam-Webster, it is to have as property, to have as faculty, quality, or the like, and denoting ownership. But it is also the state of being controlled by a demon or spirit. Possession by a spirit is one of the most widely held beliefs in religions across the world. And while my bud at the top of the show is apt in describing the neck-twisting, vomit-spewing affair of your Catholic horror flick, most religions do actually have some sort of acceptance of possession as a reality by both malevolent and beneficent entities. And religion aside, the public in general continues their intense and morbid fascination with subjects like possession and exorcism. And Hollywood hasn't skipped a beat in feeding into that, really. But how far off is Hollywood? Do we really know what possession is, what it looks like? According to a paper titled Demonic Influence and Mental Disorders written by Roger Bufford in 1989, Many investigators who had conducted an analysis of the gospel accounts of possession identified the following symptoms. Knowledge of the supernatural. Supernatural strength. Going about naked. Inability to speak, hear, or see. Having seizures. Using a different voice and the presence of a distinct or different personality. Exhibiting bizarre, fierce, unusual, or violent behavior a feeling of overpowering evil, and self-reporting of a demonic influence. The problem when trying to distinguish between possession symptoms like these and signs of an actual psychological disorder is encountered when we compare these symptoms to well and long-documented symptoms of disorders straight from the DSM. Do you have knowledge of a supernatural sort, or are you having hallucinations or delusions? Are your seizures caused by a demonic influence, or are they the result of a chronic brain syndrome like intoxication or syphilis or trauma? Your fierce, bizarre, and violent outbursts are all characteristic of psychosis and certain psychotic conditions. You see the problem in deciphering between the two states that can arise? 
Now, those in the industry of possession and exorcism today do take this business of deciphering between those two states very seriously. In fact, the Catholic Church now requires a medical and psychological exam to rule out any scientific or logical explanation for any candidate before considering exorcism as the cure for the symptoms. Now, medical condition aside, when speaking of demonic possession, Catholic exorcists do differentiate between your regular everyday demonic influence and extraordinary activity, which is where actual possession will fall under, included within a range of activity taking shape in six different forms. These extreme occurrences include, of course, Possession, where demons take full control of a body without consent, but usually as a result of the person's actions. Obsession, which includes the onset of sudden and irrational obsessive thoughts, often culminating in suicidal ideation and can influence one's dreams. Oppression, in which there is no loss of control of one's body, but seemingly one's situation as one can feel tormented through a series of misfortune regarding employment, family, health, or material possessions. The fourth form of demonic activity is simply the external pains that can be caused somehow by demons. So if you're getting scratched or finding mysterious bruises from nowhere. The fifth is what is referred to as an infestation, which affects places, things, and even animals. And the final form is what is called subjection, which is where a person voluntarily submits to Satan or demons. Now, there is another take on this, too, which I feel would be appropriate to introduce at this point. The famous couple Ed and Lorraine Warren detailed out only five forms of demonic activity in their book, In a Dark Place. They called it the five stages of demonic activity. In order, these include... Encroachment, which is where an entity finds the doorway into your life and starts making their way in. According to the Warrens, this is via permission, attraction, or by breaking the rules that supposedly bind them away from our plane of existence. The second stage is where they put the infestation. This subject in itself is something we are going to cover at length in some upcoming episodes. According to the Warrens, infestation is where the demon is already in your life and your space and now wreaks havoc on all of your senses. So it's throwing things, scratching you, creating terrible foul smells in certain areas, and creating a strange, unsettling, quite evil vibe in your home. This is the step or stage that can affect animals and items as well as the location. The fourth stage they lay out is actual possession, which we will get to momentarily. And their fifth stage is, quite bluntly, death. Not much you can do about your situation after that. Getting back to possession, we went over some signs and symptoms of the condition just a minute ago, but I wanted to cover the four typical characteristics of true demonic or satanic possession that have been in use since the Middle Ages, and they continue to be taken into consideration even to this very day. These could very well be considered the four pillars of demonic possession, and they include the manifestation of superhuman strength, a speaking of tongues or language that the victim did not know prior to the possession. And this can quite often be what's considered like a dead language. So it's your Latin, Akkadian, Greek, which would be quite impressive anyway, would it not? 
The third one is the knowing or revelation of knowledge that the victim could not have known. And this would be detailed and precise knowledge. Dr. Richard Gallagher talks about this happening to him with a client in his book, Demonic Foes. He was working with a possessed girl, trying to establish in his professional opinion if there might be something, you know, psychological going on with her. And she off and starts talking about how his mom had passed away. This was in a time before social media and instant information. He hadn't talked to her about anything of this sort. She could not have known this information. And lastly, a blasphemous rage or use of obscenities, profanities, or an intense aversion to any holy symbols, names, relics, or places. This would be an irrational or uncontrollable hatred or abject fear to things like prayer, Bibles, crosses, churches, etc., etc. And because I forgot to get these in before, I do quickly want to make a note of two other occurrences that are not included in any official lists that I found anywhere, but have been reported in a few possession cases. Levitation and a sense of heaviness in the vicinity of the victim. I just wanted to make a point of mentioning these here, as I'm sure they will come up later when we're going over specific cases. The heaviness I completely understand that. Um, that that absolutely ties into the like the evil, strange vibe thing. The levitation seems a little on the dramatic side, but it has been reported, so let's just keep an open mind until we get a chance to look at it closer. Okay, so I, I mentioned previously that at times it has behooved the Catholic Church to vehemently back or backpedal from the idea of the demonic and possession and Satan being all too real versus not real at all at times. While it was written in 1975, a study commissioned by the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith still sits on the Vatican website today and remains a strong recommendation to followers as to a foundation on the theme, Christian faith and demonology. Near the conclusion of the study, it reads thus, It, referring to Christian teachings, has condemned in the past and will always condemn the too easy use of temptation by the devil as an excuse. Not true, but go on. It has forbidden superstition just as much as magic. It refused to capitulate doctrinally in the face of fatalism or to diminish freedom in the face of pressure. What is more, when a possible demonic intervention is suggested, the church always imposes a critical assessment of the facts, as in the case of miracles. Does it, though? Has it always? Reserve and prudence are, in fact, demanded. It is easy to fall victim to imagination and to allow oneself to be led astray by inaccurate accounts distorted in their transmission and incorrectly interpreted. In these cases, therefore, as elsewhere, one must exercise discernment and one must leave room for research and its findings. I do not doubt that this recommendation for how demonic possession should be considered and handled to actually be taken seriously by the church and, in turn, Christians at the moment. But again, this has not always been the case or the stance taken. At times, the church has favored a much more dramatic flair. Why? Because it attracts followers when numbers are down. It puts butts back in the seats. Um... A really good podcast episode on this kind of fluctuation of the Christian take on demons and possession was posted by the After Dark podcast. It's episode 29 for anyone interested in catching it. 
but the hosts were going over the timeline of the surges of belief in recent history. And uh, I, I did end up renting a documentary they reference called Hostage to the Devil. Check it out, you guys. If you've read the book, this well, this this is not that like at all, but still a very interesting perspective. So it follows Malachi Martin and his work and life surrounding the time around the forming of the Vatican Council in the early 60s and then his offshoot from them afterward. To make a long story shorter, uh, he didn't appreciate the modernized approach to what the Catholic Church was trying for during that council. He was a bit more fire and brimstone, you know, fundamentalist than that. So he ends up getting out of his priestly vows, moving to America and becoming a writer. In that time, he starts this underground group of exorcists who are also just as fundamentalist as he is about the whole process. So where the church's exorcists were now pushing for all cases to be taken to psychologists and drugs prescribed if that was deemed necessary, Malachi and his band of rogue exorcists put treating each case of possession with faith first. And yes, they were rogue exorcists in that they didn't wait for permission from the church or local bishops to perform an exorcism. If they thought one was needed, they took the case. And that was that. Something I can absolutely appreciate is that Martin didn't hesitate to do public appearances when before he wouldn't have been able to. He shared what he knew and the experiences publicly when that would not have been allowed before. Now, around this time, you might recall also that a little flick titled The Exorcist was released. Unsurprisingly, within a few years of its release, interest in all things demonic and satanic was renewed. Numbers of reported possessions went through the roof, and Malachi Martin had no shortage of calls and voice messages asking for his help. This was a big, big time for him. It was a big time for the Warrens, with whom he worked also. And a few very lucrative book deals came out of this span of time for him as well. But it wasn't just Martin who would benefit. It was the church, too, and not just the Roman Catholic Church. Across the board, when around the time of the Vatican Council, you might have been hard-pressed to find a clergyman to claim that hell or the devil was even real, the proof was in the renewed interest and in the boon in congregates, and of course the increase in possession cases, and not too long after, enter the satanic panic. My mother slept with a Bible for weeks after seeing The Exorcist. If you only knew why that is sincerely funny. All right. Before we move on to the last little bit I want to talk about uh, today, I do want to be diplomatic here about the church's stance. Whether or not it has wavered over the years or they've changed their tune or whatever, as it stands today, they do take this possession and exorcism business very seriously. They do take precautions and absolutely admit nowadays that many, if not most, reported cases of possession can be explained by physical or mental illness alone. Every single case is taken seriously and goes through rigorous medical and psychological scrutiny by professionals and doctors in order to avoid a possible misdiagnosis of the situation. And after all that, it still needs a thumbs up from an actual bishop to go ahead and proceed with an exorcism. And the process is this in-depth, and they are so careful because 
quite a few people have died while enduring an exorcism, as we will talk about. We're going to be talking about that process in depth in the not-too-distant future, but just wanted to be very clear and fair about all of the floodgates that the Catholic Church does put up to avoid any misunderstandings down the road. As one of the exorcists from the documentary was saying, he says he approaches each and every case as a skeptic, trying to weed out all other possibilities first. I can appreciate that approach. Okay, so we've talked quite a bit about the signs and symptoms of demonic possession. But how the heck does one become possessed in the first place? Malachi Martin would have told you that there is no common denominator. It can happen to anyone. Many priests and even some psychologists, however, who have worked in this field for decades will tell you something a little different, that there are similar factors in each serious case. It doesn't take too long of reading Dr. Gallagher's book to see that he obviously believes anyone who ever strayed from their faith at any time or ever dabbled in the occult for any length of time typically has more of a chance of becoming possessed or oppressed than anyone else. That is what the majority of the cases he's advised on have confirmed for him. Practicing exorcists all over and throughout history have held that it is a weakness in one's faith, a doubt in God, a secret pact with the devil or the demonic, or that you have just succumbed to your temptations one too many times. In short, one really does have to want or invite it to happen on some level. According to them, possession is your fault. As an observer, I have noticed and glean as much from some listener opinions on the subject that possession seems to happen most noticeably to a certain group of people. And I am not saying anything by saying this. I'm simply noting the coincidence. The people who most often get possessed are those who are currently or have ever been religious. And it seems until I have maybe better information in hand that atheists and those without a distinct belief in a devil are completely immune from this affliction. As a side note, I would very much love and appreciate if anyone wants to send me cases that oppose that observation. I am hesitant this early on to jump on a finger-pointing bandwagon with this observation because I, I want to take some more time just to think about it. <laughs> Uh, to say that there is not real, true suffering happening during these exorcisms and that these people are just, you know, faking it all is quite sincerely a sociopathic point of view. Throughout the course of my approach to the subject up until now, I have had the unfortunate displeasure in viewing and listening to recordings of actual exorcisms taking place of actual people who believe they are actually possessed by the demonic. There aren't many out there, but you can find a few clips online. Now, I come from an acting background. I'm not going to toot my own horn here and tell you that I was, you know, just the bee's knees and gift to the acting gods, but I did it long enough to understand, you know, what goes into a really good performance. So maybe it's just natural that I first look at these clips through the lens of an actor. I feel this sincere pain and torment that these people are experiencing. The, it's a palpable rage and anguish. And I ask myself, could I put on this level of performance? Like, if my life depended on it, even, could I? 
could I summon superhuman strength? Could I access the deep, dark recesses of my mind and formulate actual sentences and rebukes in Latin based on what I remember learning about in high school and, and things I've picked up learning the romantic languages which have their roots in Latin? Could I do that? Could I read a person's body language well enough in this very strange and highly stressful situation to guess correctly, not just that their mother was dead, but how she died? I, I don't think so. I don't think I could. Not convincingly. So are these people just putting on a show? No, not in my opinion. The belief in these circumstances is quite real. The experience for them is quite real. And when I remind myself that these people have also already been thoroughly psychologically and medically vetted, yeah, I hesitate to deny that something is actually happening here. To wrap up this episode for anyone actually worried about becoming possessed themselves, you can sleep easy tonight because I got you. I have a list of very specific things and activities to avoid in order to not go getting yourself in a possessed kerfuffle, as they say. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you must ensure you lead a good and sinless life, and in order to do that, we must pray. But it's also important to avoid anything to do with Satan conjuring the dead or foretelling the future. So, no more of your wacky, Satan-worshipping, necromancy-practicing, psychic wine-and-cheese nights, y'all biddies. Furthermore, no horoscopes, no astrology, no palm reading, no tarot. Might as well flirt with the devil himself. According to writer Matt Baglio on a recent interview on Mysterious Radio... While he doesn't think there is any one thing a person could possibly do to encourage a possession, he does believe it to be a result of a pattern of activity that causes them to distance themselves from whatever it is that the person believes is indicative of God and the good that they could bring into their lives. So for some, it could mean participating in activities that cause them to turn away from the church, praying, sacraments, that kind of stuff. But he says it's not going to be the same for every person, and it is a very nuanced process. So it definitely doesn't mean that if you picked up a deck of tarot cards or researched the occult that one time that anything bad is necessarily going to happen. There is a theory in some New Age circles that it doesn't necessarily have to be a demonic force doing the possession, but can also be a negative spirit who either battled with addictions or only ever pursued the pleasurable during their lives and now, very much like a parasite, attach themselves to a living person who is already doing whatever the activity is or is easily manipulated. So goes without saying, but yeah, it is widely believed that if you abstain from alcohol, drugs, overeating, overspending, gambling, all of that excessive, addictive, cumulative behavior one can have, you do reduce your risk of onboarding any nasty spirits or energies. And in an Inquirer article, I know, don't say it, I know, titled How to Avoid Possession by Evil Spirits, they recommend trying to stick with a sunny, upbeat mood, avoid negative people and groups, keep your mind, body, and spirit in check and harmony, carry any objects of protection or that are blessed with you wherever you go, 
And if your spidey senses start kicking up in a new situation or environment, your body will react to tell you if it's a no-go or whatever, and you should just listen to it. I know it's the inquirer, but tell me that any of that wasn't just sound advice. And one final thing you can do, maybe even put it into action right now, is to not be a lady person. Don't don't be a woman, is what I am trying to say. That's right. It seems a majority of possessions throughout history have been notably higher in the ladies. Never mind that the rise and fall of these numbers somehow magically correlate to the rise and fall of documented witchcraft cases, and never mind that several historians have argued that, interestingly, possession might have actually given young, virtuous, afflicted women a power that would have otherwise been closed off to them in those olden days by enabling them to speak with a displaced male authority. The charts I found did cut me off at the year 1650, so... Who knows whether the possession numbers between the genders ever evened out in the last 400 years. But I ask you, do you really want to take that chance? Do the right thing. Stop being a lady. That's it for today, folks. You know, along with people, locations can be ripe for possession and rife with demonic activity. Locations around the world have become notorious for their demonic hauntings and attachments, and a deeper dive into these infestations is necessary. So, we're going to get into it next time. Y'all know the drill. Until then, follow the show over on the socials, at ParanormGirlPod, and uh, share the love. Tell a friend. Heck, I don't care. Tell a stranger. I got a birthday coming up here next month, and I think that is what I'll be asking for. Me and this show are perfectly fine being the subject of your icebreaker at the next company function or family gathering. Maybe maybe make one of the questions at a speed dating event. Hey, do you listen to the Paranorm Girl pod? It, 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 shows, uh, it shows good taste. Share it with your significant other. You know, a little spooky pillow talk ain't ever hurt nobody. In fact, maybe it'll bring you guys closer together. And that's all I really want to mend relationships, and avoid breakups if possible. Paranorm girl, podcaster, and love doctor. All for now, you crazy bunch. Here's your final note. At some point, we will have to have the conversation about mental health and how the symptoms at certain less woke times were often mistaken for an attachment, a negative oppression, a demonic possession, and how, at those times, people got hurt. People suffered far more than they needed to. That conversation is not far away. For today, if all we do is look at this phenomenon as a spiritual occurrence, then yes, possession in itself is a rather terrifying prospect. Imagine it, an invisible enemy who is after only one thing, your immortal soul, the thing that makes you you, that carries you from here into the afterlife and beyond, I don't know. It's your through line. And this invisible enemy who is all so powerful, all so strong, all so evil, intent on your very destruction, wants that soul, wants to collect it into their bag, steal it. It's a terrifying thought and story. I was on a thread earlier today. 
this thread was a mile long, and it was all in response to a question that went something along the lines of, how can I purposely get myself possessed? Now, I'm personally of the opinion that that is probably not a fantastic idea, but I felt he still had a right to have a conversation about that if that's what he wanted. You know, not one person actually answered his question. Instead, every single person in this mile-long thread deemed it their personal responsibility to shut him off from the information he was seeking and make the decision for him to save his soul. Saying things like, this is not something you want to mess with, you'll regret it, you're an idiot for even thinking this way, turn to Jesus, keep going if you wish to be sexually assaulted by Satan, these are the darkest, most powerful, most evil beings imaginable and are gunning at the chance to steal your soul and condemn you to eternal pain and torment in hell. Comment after comment after comment I read, and you know what? I started feeling a bit of anxiety that I, I hadn't really felt researching this stuff up until now. I started getting these like fearful thoughts floating through my head that something was gonna get me. That maybe it was already too late for me. What if I become possessed? What if, what if I am so wrong and these people have been right about this stuff all along? I, I had to step away, stop reading because these strangers spoke with such authority and such confidence that it was totally sucking me in. And after thinking about it for a while, I became calm with the thought that none of these fear-mongering buttholes can possibly know what would happen unless they themselves had been there. And obviously they hadn't because lo and behold, here they are online commenting and trying to strike fear into this poor kid's heart. I'm assuming you can't keyboard warrior without your soul still intact, right? but I'm calm. I'm fighting fear with education instead of just buying into it. But I'll make you guys a promise. If I discover that demons are actually to be feared at the level that so many, like the people on that thread, believe they should be, I will tell you when I think it is time to be afraid. But for the time being, there is a whole list of beings I'm far more afraid of that have actually earned my fear. Beings absolutely capable of committing atrocities and dispensing torture. Capable of pure evil. And you best believe human beings have earned their spot on that list. But also like skinwalkers, Wendigos are pretty horrifying too. Banshees, like, what the hell are those even? I don't know. Trippy stuff, man. Stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.